You may be seated. Ooh, that was an abrupt stop. Sorry. <laughs> Kevin, thank you so much. I called Kevin. By the way, uh, Ben got me in trouble. You know, my wife hadn't been in town this week. And when Ben's like, he came in practice, she's like, you did what? I was like, I didn't. He's making that up. Not the part about me sounding like a, a dying cat, but uh, the plan was the whole time to have Kevin come. And when I called Kevin and said, could you just do the whole thing? Uh, that way I don't have to worry about uh, you know, the band. The band had a week off. So I, I so appreciate his willingness to step up. And aren't you blessed? Aren't you blessed this morning? Like, uh, it's kind of a concert and church all in one. And so what a great day. Today we get to celebrate baby Elliot's coming soon. Are we ready for that? Are we ready for a youth pastor's kid walking around the church? Boy, it's going to be great. I'm looking so forward to that. I'm put my vote in for his name is going to be Harley, Harley Elliot, right? We'll see. But uh, uh, today is the shower, the baby shower. So hopefully you're planning on those of you who are planning on attending. Uh, it is going to be downstairs. Uh, we couldn't, if we were doing it upstairs, we would have had to have removed chairs and set up tables and it just doesn't work uh, quickly on a Sunday. And so it is downstairs. If you have any needs though about stairs, on this side at that door, there is, we have a lift now. Um, somebody wonderfully provided it for us. So an electric chair that takes people down and back up. If you need that type of assistance, we encourage you to go to that door. Somebody will be there to help you. And if it's just that you can't get down the stairs carrying your gift or whatever, then we'll have people out in the hallway out here. Uh, we can help you. We'll assist you with that. Uh, but we're excited for, we have some family with us today and, and uh, we're just celebrating what's to come and looking forward to that addition to uh, not only the Elliots, but for our Oakwood family. So last week, we were in the series talking about um, Jesus is. Everybody say, Jesus is. And I started with the son who sleeps. Jesus is the son who sleeps. It's our Easter series, and I started with a Christmas message. We talked about Jesus laying in a manger. And I apologize, uh, because it snowed all week. Uh, never do a Christmas message in April in Michigan, so or in March, late March. And so uh, here it's going to snow again this week, uh, but we're moving on from the son who sleeps, and we're moving to the, uh, the shepherd who serves, and that's what we're talking about today. Jesus is the shepherd who serves, and, and I hope you appreciate the whole series is based on the positions or the posture of Jesus. And so last week we learned that Jesus could sleep he could rest in the bow of a boat when the boat is going down because he has no worries, he has no fear. He has a father who's in charge and who's in control. You sleep well when you know your father's in charge and in control. We learn that about Jesus. This week we learn that he not only lays down and sleeps, but he takes a knee. It's an amazing thing that our Savior would kneel down to serve others. The prince of heaven who left the palatial home in heaven came here, took the form of a man, not just the form of a man, but a baby and had to experience growth and then serves who being in the very nature God didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. I don't know about you, but our whole world today is grasping for themselves. It's all about me, right? And everybody's out for number one. And so everybody's grasping 
for their own self. But Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Instead, He gave Himself up and took Him the form of a servant. That's where we're at today. And uh, the big idea is... The big idea today is Jesus is the mighty Messiah, worthy to be worshipped, but he chose to pick up a towel, not a title. This morning I'm going to challenge you. Are you picking up a towel or are you trying to pick up a title? Are you trying to be known? Are you trying to be a grasping on to it's all about me? Or are you willing to pick up a towel? Jesus picked up a towel. And this whole thing comes out of the passage we're going to look at is John 13. If you want to meet me there right now, grab your own uh, copy of the scriptures. Meet me in John 13, or there's maybe Bibles uh, scattered throughout underneath the chairs. Or if you've got a gadget, go to John 13, 1 through 17. And it actually is something that is what uh, Maundy Thursday, how many of you know what Maundy Thursday is about? A lot of you don't know, and that's okay. Don't feel bad. I didn't know that either until a couple years ago. Uh, I grew up in the Baptist tradition, and and we Baptists growing up, I mean, we we were so afraid to be considered Catholic, we wouldn't do anything the Catholics did. And so I didn't understand Lent. I didn't understand people would give up stuff for Lent, and and I I always thought that that somehow was wrong. And and then I come to find out, boy, we missed out on a lot of really good things. Um, Giving up something for Lent is a good thing to learn to, to, to do without in order to remind yourself, right, who Jesus is. And, and, and so it comes to Maundy Thursday. And so I thought I'd just put it on the screen. I'm sure you all know all about this. I'm the one coming late to the game. But Maundy, and it comes from the Latin where we get the word man, man, mandatum, which in English is the mandate or command. And it comes out of this passage where Jesus actually gives a command and it, it, it's, it's the mandate. It is Maundy Thursday heading into Good Friday, heading into his betrayal, then death on the cross, and then finally Easter morning. So we're kind of on that track now uh, as we get ready for Easter. That's what Maundy Thursday is. And here is the command. It's found in John 13, 35. We're not going to go all that way through John 13. But in John 13, 35, he says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. He's in the upper room. I've kind of set up the stage to represent this room. He's with his 12 disciples, his closest friends. He knows that he's heading into the weekend. He's going to go to the cross. And it's the night before he was betrayed, we have the Last Supper. We're going to celebrate communion today. I've asked our elder Jim Bongiorno at the end of this message to come up and lead that so I can take a break real quick. Um, but uh, he's going to come and lead us in this Last Supper, this, this communion that Jesus did with his friends. And so I want to walk through our passage, and it'll be on the screen. You can follow. Let me read it. I'll make a few points on it, and then I want to give you some thoughts before we go today. Let me read John 13. Where's my glasses? I think it's big enough I can read it. John 13, 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to his Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. 
Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God. He was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter. Did you ever realize Peter really stepped in it a lot? Have you? you know, the only time Peter opens his mouth is to put a different foot in. He, he, I mean, he, he's already been the one who Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. And he said, no, you're not going. We, we're not going to let you die. And he's, <laughs> Jesus is like, get thee behind me, Satan. You know. And here's another opportunity for Peter to get it right, but he did what probably most of us would do. He, he, he said, no. Can, can you imagine saying no to Jesus? No. You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. And the Lord, then Lord, Simon Peter said, then not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew he was going, who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. What a great passage, amen? What a great example we have. Our Savior who lays down and sleeps, and then a Savior who gets on his knees and serves. A couple of things I point out in verse number one, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He's got 12 friends in this room and the Bible makes it very clear. He loved them. Everybody say love. Part of this hard thing to understand why Jesus would do this is maybe he was confused and he didn't know who he was. Why would the God of all heaven, the prince of all uh, heavenly throne, get on his knees for the creature he created? Maybe he didn't understand who he was. I love how this, the Bible is so good and accurate for us. It says for us in verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had given him all things under his power. He's not confused about who he is. He's not confused that at any moment he could call down 10,000 angels. He's not confused that he could have just snapped his finger and given them all new feet. He's not confused. He knows exactly who he is. He goes on to say that he had come from God and he was returning to God. So he knew who he was, where he was from, and where he was going. That's who Jesus is. And yet he took off his outer garment picked up a towel. It's interesting, the parallel, by the way, in verse four, he got up, took off his clothes, wrapped a towel, 
and washed his disciples' feet. It, it, it mirrors what he did coming here to save us. When he got up from that meal, it's like when he got up and left heaven. It, 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 it's that moment where he took off his, his outer clothing to wash those feet. It's like what he did in heaven when he, he took off all his heavenly Everything about him to become this baby. <laughs> he, he, he took it off. He was fully God and fully man, but he chose not to have all those things that he had before. And he wrapped a towel around his waist. Kind of almost, it almost reminds me of last week's swaddling clothes. You know, he wrapped himself in the clothes of a servant. And he washed the disciples' feet. He became obedient to the death, even death on a cross. That's your Jesus. That's who Jesus is. And then we've got this wonderful thing with him and Peter. Oh, I love Peter. But there's a really interesting play on words. And you need to hear this today. Just the geek moment. Everybody say geek moment. Little geek moment for everybody. Uh, in verse 6, he came to Simon Peter. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? The word wash there is a specific word, nipto, nipto, which simply means a, a cleaning like when you wash your hands, right? Now there's another word for getting completely clean. It's the word later in verse 10 when Jesus says, those who've had a bath, that's a luo, L-U-O. And I don't know if that's where the word lu comes from. Go to the bathroom. <laughs> I don't know. It might not have anything to do with that, but I thought it was cute. So a lu is when you have a whole bath, so I want you to walk with me real quickly in the geek out fashion of wording here. Jesus, uh, or Peter says, Lord, are you going to wash me? You're going to niptoe my feet? Jesus, you don't know what I'm doing. You'll understand later. No, you can't wash my feet, niptoe. Jesus answered, unless I niptoe you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter says, I need a, I need a luo then. <laughs> then, then if it's that important, then don't just wash a little body part. Let's do it all. Start with the head. Go down to my hands. Give me the whole thing. Give me a bath. And Jesus is like, you don't need a bath. You're already clean. It's just your feet. Friends, I don't know if you got what that's... This teaching is so profound that it teaches eternal security. It actually teaches the fact that once you're saved, you're saved. That's the bath. It's a washing. Have you been washed in the blood? Has there been a moment in your life when you surrendered and said, I'm a sinner and I need salvation. Please forgive me of my sin coming to my life. That's the moment you receive the bath. But you and I both know that we don't stay completely clean, do we? We walk around in this world and guess what? We get dirty <laughs> and we sin. What Jesus was trying to explain there is every day you need a nipto. <laughs> Every day you need to be cleaned again, but you don't need a bath again. Friends, you're saved. If you've asked God to save you, he saved you. And if every time you sin, you think you need to be saved again, you're not understanding. Jesus taught us. The bath took care of that. This whole thing is about foot washing, and it has nothing to do with foot washing. I love that about Jesus. <laughs> He gives us an illustration. You see, the bath is your salvation. The foot washing is your sanctification. The bath has saved me, and then every day we make sure that we're confessing our sin. The bath is our union. The foot washing is the communion. That daily, God forgive me for what I did today when I was angry. And by the way, when you know we can't... Uh, 
sin wholesale and, and, uh, or sin retail and, and ask forgiveness retail or wholesale. I don't know how that goes. Either way, yeah, yeah, we, we need to be specific about that. If you're a believer and you've been, uh, if you confess our sins, he's faithful, just forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you've asked him to save you, he saved you. You've been washed. You're clean. But in order to walk in fellowship, we got to go to him and, and daily just, he needs to cleanse us. Not to save us again. The bath is the union. The foot washing is the communion. The bath is the relationship. The foot washing is the fellowship. And so Jesus is teaching Peter here, Peter, you just need the nipto. You just need the nipto. Probably because he kept stepping in it. And I love the fact that as I read this whole passage, there are denominations, and I'm not picking on them. Maybe you came from one of these denominations. There are denominations that have chosen foot washing is one of the things that you need to do. It's communion, it's baptism, and foot washing. And they actually practice foot washing. And I love that, and I'm fine with that. I did a marriage. Uh, somebody here in this church, actually, uh, I, there's all sorts of weird things in weddings. You know, I, I've done, the, you know, the long gone is the simple unity candle, Right? We used to just do unity candles. Now, the, now they're mixing sand. Uh, I did a wedding where they mixed coffee beans. I did a wedding where they mixed different kinds of wine. I, they're always doing these different kind of things for an analogy, right? And, and one wedding I did, the, the bride and groom said, hey, we're not going to do any of that stuff, but we are going to wash each other's feet. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, we want to wash each other's feet. My grandma was in part of a church, and that was part of it. So we're going to honor my grandma. And, we're gonna, and during the wedding... The bride took her shoes off and he washed her feet. And then she took his shoes off and washed his feet. I thought it was the strangest thing ever. Now I realize it was probably the most biblical, the most biblical illustration of serving and loving one another. But as I said, foot washing is really not about foot washing here. And I don't think that Jesus commanded us to do foot washing because he did say in verse, uh, look at verse 15 real quick. He didn't say, do what I have done for you. That would be then, it needs to be an ordinance. If he said, do what I did for you, then we need to be foot washing each other. So Jim, when you're done doing communion, take off your shoes, everybody. Here we go. Uh, uh, but he didn't say, do what I did. He said, do as I did. We get it wrong sometimes when we get too literal and, and we make the mistake of just doing a function instead of understanding what the point was. And Jesus was not saying you should do foot washings. He's saying you should do as I did. The Prince of Heaven came and he served. So do what I did and you serve one another. You love one another. That's the geek out part. We're done with that. So Jesus says, I've loved you. I'm the example, and I love what he did for us because this cross is obviously the, the biggest example of love that you could ever have. This cross is, is the ultimate act of love, but it's too big. Careful, I'm, I'm, just listen to me. It's too big. How many of us can copy that, right? Again, weddings are amazing. I did one last Sunday, and these two loved each other so much, you know. And I, I looked at Sean, I looked at the, the groom, and I'm like, hey, listen, buddy, you need to love her like Christ loved the church. And I got news, he died for the church. And I could just tell this guy was like, I'll do it. Most of the times when I say that at the wedding, the groom is like, he puffs up, he's like, I'll die for her. But the problem is, you're probably not going to have to. But you need to do the dishes. 
And you probably got to do the dishes a million times. If you're going to die for it, you only got to do it one time. There's a whole bunch of loving that isn't the ultimate, right? And so Jesus went to the cross and he died. Obviously, obviously Easter's coming and we know that that's the ultimate act of love. But Jesus did something so amazing on Thursday knowing that this example was way too big. He gives us a different example, one that you and I can actually do. So foot washing is not really about foot washing. It's about love each other like I loved you. And he loved him. And that should be the end of it. Drop the mic. I mean, Jesus should have finished that speech, drop the mic, and everything's been great since then. Ever since that moment, anybody walking into a church has been amazed that people love each other. And they, Christians never argue. We never disagree. We never gossip. We only talk respectfully about each other. We don't, we don't point fingers. We forgive. We truly, ever since that moment, drop the mic, the church has been perfect, right? Wrong. Jesus loved us so much that he gave us an example, not one that was so big, but one that was so simple. Close your eyes just for a second. Can, can you imagine the room? All week long, I've been, I've been trying to play this out. Disciple number one walks into this room and he walks right past the basin and the water and the towel and there's no servant there and so he doesn't even stop to wash his own feet because he wants to get to the table first. Maybe if he got to the table first, he'd get to the, the place of prominence. You gotta get close to Jesus. So the second disciple shows up and sees that the first disciple didn't wash feet. He's not gonna do it. The first disciple said, not me. The second disciple said, not me. And then one by one, all 12 disciples go sit at the table and nobody washes their feet. Eyeballs here for a second. They reclined at tables. We had this made for the Easter production a couple years ago. I'm not going to do it because my back won't let me get back up, but they were low. And so the Last Supper is actually a scene of 12 guys with dirty, stinky feet in each other's faces. Nobody was going to wash anybody's feet. And by the way... God bless Peter, he's you know, way, way above me and someday he's going to say, quit picking on me. But in this whole conversation with Jesus, Peter never said, put down the towel, I'll do it. He never said, let me do it. Matter of fact, when he said, when Jesus says, if unless I nipto you, you have no part in me, he's like, well then I want to have the best part. I want to be closer to you than these guys. Wash my head, wash my hands. He was still all about Peter. He never got it right. Selfish. Selfish. There's 12 guys sitting around this table and they're all selfish. And that's where Jesus comes in. Jesus never sinned. In my sinful nature, I, can't, I, I just keep thinking. I, I keep picturing Jesus looking at this table and all these filthy, stinky feet. I mean, we all understand. They, uh, 
the feet aren't a pleasant part of the body. Although I've often told my wife that I think my feet are the best part of mine. I've always said that, haven't I, since college. I think my feet are the cutest part of me. She says they're really not. But feet are, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about feet. Feet are, uh, my, my son gets grossed out by mine. If he was here today, he'd be like, no, Dad, you didn't, did you? We actually covers ours up with socks and shoes. And, but back in the day, they didn't do that. You know, they walked on dirt roads. Dirt roads, by the way, the donkeys did things on. And, and as you're walking in the heat and humidity, you're sweating, and the sweat runs downhill, doesn't it? And so now your, your, your feet are the place where the moisture collects and picks up dust and whatever else is on the road. You know, maybe, you know, maybe you had a little poop on the road, a little pee on the road. But now we've got a little mud cake and, and these are my closest to air Jesuses that I could come up with, right? Uh, these sandals aren't the best. I mean, they wore sandals, but man, you know, you know, if you're, if you're running in the dust and the dirt, your feet are going to be gross. And here they are, 12 of them, gross. And it would be easy to think that if I'm Jesus, I'm like, guys, I've just spent three years of my life preaching to you, teaching you, you know, rebuking you, giving you illustrations, and nobody washed anybody's feet. I mean, I don't think it even, I don't think it even took that long. I think Jesus saw the scene and he loved them. That's the first point I want to give you. Why did Jesus kneel? He had the right motivation. He served others from affinity. Love. What the Bible tells us is he saw their feet and he began to show them and serve them that he loved them. The Bible says he got up from the meal and he took water and he poured it into the basin. He took off that outer garment, which I'm not going that far today, but some of you are like, oh no, he's into the illustration. But he took out that outer garment and he put a towel around his waist. Only the servants did this. I don't know if you know this, but Jewish slaves wouldn't even do the foot washing slave job. That had to be a Greek. A Greek slave was the only one who would do that. And when there wasn't a Greek slave at the door, we had problems. People weren't willing to serve other people and wash their dirty feet. Remember the story when Jesus went as the guest and nobody washed his feet and that woman stood behind him and cried tears and then washed his feet with her hair, poured perfume on it. Remember that? How Jesus respected that? Now here he is. Towel, water, and each of the disciples. And don't let it pass. I know you have to be thinking, even Judas? Yes. Even Judas. But don't forget, even Peter. Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him three times. Even James and John, the sons of thunder, who were wearing their leather jackets, right? Who, who were like, we love you. They couldn't even stay awake in the next 24 hours to pray with them. 
He washed their feet too. The nine other guys that I haven't mentioned, or eight other guys, they all left him. They all deserted him, right? The only thing that would have made this whole thing complete is if they had karaoke night. I'm sorry, I had to go there. I found a song. I can just picture Peter. It had to be Peter. I just want to tell you how I'm feeling. Gotta make you understand. Never gonna give you up. Never gonna let you down. Never gonna run around and desert you. Never gonna make you cry. Never gonna say goodbye. Never gonna tell a lie and hurt you. Can you imagine? Perfect song for Peter at the Last Supper. And Jesus is like, You're going to deny me three times. Jesus knows all these things that everybody around the table is going to desert him. Knowing this, knowing who he is, he washes their stinking feet. Why? He had the right motivation. And that's what blows my mind. I don't know if I could have loved them. That's why, good thing, I'm not Jesus and I'm not God. I don't know if I could have loved them. But the Bible makes it clear. He loved them. He loved them. Wow. Second thing, Jesus had the right manner. He served others from humility. How did he, how did he take off his outer garment and become like a servant he gets up from the meal. Instead of being the feature guy, he's the servant guy. And Philippians 2 tells us he was humble. He was a humble Savior. The third thing I see, that the reason why Jesus kneeled is he had the right mindset. He served others from his identity. Not from a lack of understanding who he was, but from knowing who he was. He loved them and he served them and it was not an issue at all. As soon as he's done washing their feet, he joins right back in and then he tells them once again that he's going to die for them. He served them out of his identity. This kind of love, I've been preaching this. I don't know if you've noticed. I've been preaching love for the last couple of years at Oakwood. Love is the selfless, willing sacrifice for the good of another person, even if they don't deserve it and not expecting anything in return. That's love. And you and I need to follow that example. I mean, Jesus said, do as I did. So we serve out of love. We serve sacrificially. I read a story this week. I want to get it right. It was out of Ernest Gordon's uh, book called Through the Valley of Kauai. It was a World War II Japanese prison camp. And it was all about a man named Angus. He was a Scottish prisoner in one of the camps filled with Americans, Australians, and Britain who had helped build the infamous bridge over Kauai. The camp had become an ugly situation. In the book, he tells that it was a a dog-eat-dog type of a mentality. The prisoners were lacking food and provisions and they were stealing from each other. And if somebody got sick, they would steal his food, steal his blanket, steal his pillow, take everything from him. It was a man-eat-man, dog-eat-dog world in this prison camp. 
But there was a man named Angus who was Scottish. And the Scots had this thing called muckers. Every Scottish soldier had a mucker. They were buddy, a buddy system. And you, your whole job was to make sure your mucker made it. <laughs> the problem was Angus was strong. He was a big Scottish soldier. He was strong, but his mucker was a mess and he was dying. In the book, they tell the story that Angus would, uh, he would wrap his mucker in a blanket at night and say, I found an extra blanket, but in actuality, it was Angus's blanket. He would bring food and say, hey, I've, I got some extra food for you. And the guy was so sick and so weak. Uh, but truthfully, Angus was really giving him his own food. And, and the story went that the camp was so broken and nasty that these prisoners were fighting against each other. Then the day happened that Angus actually died. And it became clear that the reason why Angus died was starvation that was complicated by exhaustion. He had given everything so that his mucker would make it, and his mucker did. His mucker came back to health, and it changed the camp. I want to read you the words. Something different happened when the prisoners heard that Angus had died, and he had died for his buddy. As word circulated of the reason for Angus McGillivray's death, the feel of the camp began to change. Suddenly men began to focus on their mates, their friends, the humanity living beyond survival of giving oneself away. They began to pool their talents. One was a violin maker, another was an orchestra leader, and another a cabinet maker, another a professor. Soon the camp had an orchestra full of homemade instruments and a church called a church without walls that was so powerful, so compelling, that even the Japanese guards attended. The men began a university, a hospital, and a library system. The place was transformed. And all but smothered love revived, all because one man named Angus gave all he had for a friend. For many of those men, this turnaround meant survival. What happened is an awesome illustration of the potential unleashed when one person actually gives it all away. This is what Jesus did when he not only went to the cross, but he gave us a living example that you and I could actually copy. You and I can do this. You're probably not going to be asked to die for somebody. Although the Bible says no greater love has a man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. But it's so big. So Jesus says, just do as I do and love somebody. Lower yourself and Strip yourself of all the dignity and just love somebody. So I wrap it up today with this. What do we learn? Number one, let love lead me. Let love lead you. Let service be your, your battle cry. And I'm not preaching against Oakwood. Oakwood has incredible servants. I, I, I could brag on so many people here today. I probably shouldn't start because I'd leave somebody out. I mean, there's people that come and just serve here at the church during the week and they do it out of the goodness of their heart. Be careful about getting sick. I'm telling you, people will show up with more food to kill an army. Uh, uh, My wife had this trip planned for a long time to take her mom and her aunt down to the, the, that fancy castle thing down in North Carolina. And so she was gone. And when people found out my wife was gone and I had back pain, oh, the food. Josh loved every minute of it. 
He loved every minute. I literally had to call the church and say, if anybody calls, tell them not to bring food. We were inundated because people love. This church does love. What I'm telling you is how much greater would it be as if every one of us loved like Jesus loved. Let love lead you. See a need, meet a need. Amen? Say it with me. See a need, meet a need. That's what Jesus did. He simply saw the dirty feet and he never once did what I would have done. Not Judas. Everybody over here, Judas, you stay there. <laughs> I'm going to wash your feet, but not yours. You know? uh, not Jesus. Not Jesus. Let love lead you. Number two, harvest a humble attitude, a humble heart. Whew, that's the hard thing because we, we're in such an environment that it's, look out for number one. It's all about me and I want everybody to recognize me and I want, a, I want a title, right? I want a title and I want everybody to respect my title and Jesus is so not about a title. He picked up a towel instead of a title. That's harvesting a humble heart. We need to do that. And finally this morning, I'll invest for my entrusted identity uh, I know it's no big deal to you, but this took a, a day and a half to come up with those three points. That phrase, I, go home and think about it. I use the word invest, by the way, L, let, L, let love stand, and then harvest humble heart, and then invest entrusted identity. I did the letters, you know, that's what I do, right? It takes me days to come up with them. But that last one, entrusted identity, wow. That's what Jesus did for you. See, he knew who he was, and he tells you who you are. (laughs) Once you're saved, you've been bought with a price, and so you're a new creation. So live out of your new identity. Matter of fact, invest out of your new identity. How do you invest? You love people. Everybody say love. You love people. That's how we invest out of the new person and who we are. And by the way, that identity was entrusted to you. It was entrusted that you would do as Jesus did invest in who he called you to be. Love. Love. You're going to get so sick of it. Love. (laughs) I could preach so many other messages, but I keep coming back to love because I think it says everything. If I wanted Oakwood to be known for anything, I don't care about size or numbers. I want it to be known as love. Love. I see it. I've experienced it. I hope you've seen it and you've experienced it. But love needs to lead our hearts, direct our actions. And it does need to be a place where we think the best of each other. Oakwood needs to be a place where we serve first and worry about appreciation last. Where where we just rid ourselves of everything and just love because he said that's what you need to do. I'm going to have Jim be ready to come. I want to share you one last thought. Jim's coming and Ed's coming to the keyboard to lead us. What a perfect day to go to the table. If you haven't picked up communion, it's in the back. I read a story this week about Helen and Brandon. Helen's eight years old. Brandon's five years old. And their dad took them to the mall. 
The dad wrote a great book, by the way. But he took these kids to the mall. And as they were coming, they saw the big semi there. And it was a, a, a well-known that the petting zoo came to the mall a couple times a year. And they would put six inches of sawdust in the mall and little fence and all these furry little baby farm animals in the middle of the mall. And they would charge a fee. And the kids could play with the little animals while the adults did their shopping. Well, dad took Brandon and Helen to the mall, gave them each a quarter, and he took off for Sears. And he's shopping in Sears when he noticed that little Helen's walking behind him. He said, Helen, what's wrong? And little tears are in Helen's eyes as she said, Dad, it cost 50 cents to get in. So I gave Brandon my quarter. And and I guess Helen was like premier loving fuzzy critters, right? She loved those little fuzzy animals. It was who she was. Little tears are coming down her face. What I loved about this story is it's something that you're not going to (laughs) like. Helen looked at her dad and she said, after she told him that she had given Brandon her quarter, she she quoted the family motto. See, their family had a motto. It was called love in action. Whenever they would do something as a family, they would say, love in action. So little Helen looked at dad and said, I gave Brandon my quarter. Love in action. And then the dad tells us that what he did next, he took little Helen by the hand and he walked her out to the the little petting zoo. And they stood at the fence as Helen put her little chin on the, the fence and watched Brandon play with the... He said, I had 50 cents burning a hole in my pocket, but she never asked for it, and I didn't give it. Some of you need to go home and struggle with that because you're thinking, oh, let the girl in. Some of you are all like, let her, let her do it. No, no. Helen had learned that love was action and that meant it cost something. It always costs something. It always costs something. Father God, in the name of Jesus, help us to live like Jesus lived. God, help us to look at this passage and realize that foot washing is so much deeper than foot washing. God, help us to imitate the humility and love and the true identity it takes to be someone who cares like Jesus and lives like Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Jim, thank you for doing this. Well, it's a privilege to come up here and uh, lead you in a communion service today. I feel sort of bad it's at Pastor Don's back's expense, but God works in mysterious ways. So, uh, as he mentioned earlier, the emblems are in the back if you haven't gotten them. And uh, we serve an open communion here. In other words, if you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're a visitor... You, have a, you belong to a different denomination, but you are welcome here and encouraged to celebrate with us. As Pastor Don already mentioned, that the communion table began uh, with Jesus at, at what we call the Last Supper. He initiated that 2,000 years ago, and we still celebrate it today. Paul wrote uh, in the letter to the Corinthians, the second letter, reminding them of what 
the communion service, uh, the process for the communion service. And we'll share a little bit of that as we begin this time. But um, Paul wrote them because they had um, misused the communion service. It was meant to be a time of holiness, sacred, uh, t- excuse me, time, and uh, a time of unity, communion, if you will. And they had uh, made it to something else. And so he uh, advises them in uh, no uncertain terms to make sure that we do this worthily. And so um, he says, examine yourself in Second Corinthians. It says, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy matter will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. So we're going to take a moment to do that before we do that, okay? Take the bread from its container, if you will. Paul wrote to them, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Take the glass. Just pray for a moment. Father, we thank you for the um, privilege of taking communion and remembering you, being one in communion with you. And today, Father, we just pray a special uh, time of uh, servitude as Pastor Don has spent that time sharing with us what you did for uh, your apostles and that example set for us even today. So uh, bless us as we leave, Lord. Thank you, Jim. Would you stand with me? Let me give you a benediction. It's our custom here that after we do communion together, I send you out with this. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. God bless you. Enjoy the shower. Enjoy your week. God bless.